You've tried washing it off, rubbing, scraping, scratching, and sanding it off. You've even tried grinding, cutting, and burning it off. But still it remains. It's zombie skin. So foreign to your own eyes, you wonder, are you still fully human? Or have you become the contamination? Whether you're struggling with cold sores, eczema, poison oak, poison ivy, acne, bee stings, bug bites, cuts, scrapes, scuffs, tears, chronic rash, or any of the endless ailments we all wish never happen, the antidote is the truly endless repair. Head over to zombielips.squarespace.com to buy the antidote. Become human again. Get yours today. Hey there! Do you like legends, myths, and whiskey? Or maybe just one of those things? Then you should listen to the Legends, Myths, and Whiskey podcast. For more information, head over to legendsmythsandwhiskey.com. Hello, and welcome to episode number 715 of the Wicked Library. Before we get started today, I wanted to quickly say thank you to our new Patreon supporters. They keep the show coming by helping us cover all our costs. Since our last episode, we've gained support from Michael Lusty-Smith, Sam Snap, and Jim Powell. Thanks so much for taking the time to get on Patreon and support the show. It really means a lot to us. If you'd like to support the show, you can do that at patreon.com forward slash wicked library. And starting this month, if you support the show at the $5 a month and above level, you get an extra story each month. This month's bonus story was written by Tyler Woodsmall and features narration by Addison Peacock of the Cryptid Keeper podcast and, of course, the fantastic No Sleep podcast. We'll be releasing that later this month for our Patreon supporters. Also, a big thank you to those who took the time to rate and review us on iTunes. This week, I'd like to share a couple with you before the story, and the rest I'll share immediately after the story. The first one I wanted to share with you is from Canada. It was by Ryan MKD. Five stars, keep the lights on. I have specific taste when it comes to podcasts. And for the past few years, I stopped listening completely. I knew what I was hoping to find, but I couldn't track it down. I don't remember how I stumbled across the Wicked Library, but from the moment I pressed play, I found what I had been looking for. The show allows me to just shut off my mind and absorb myself into a world not too different from our own. I wish there were new episodes every day. I simply can't get enough. Keep up the amazing work. Thanks so much for that. Next, two stars. MLG811. Too much talking. Stick to the stories. No. Thanks again to everyone who listens and supports the show, either financially or by rating and reviewing the show in iTunes. If you enjoy the interviews at the end of the show, check out the Ninth Story Podcast with Jeanette and Alexander for more interviews and discussions, and they talk to storytellers of all types, including today's narrator. Today's episode is narrated by a very special guest narrator, Lane Lloyd of the podcast Sable. If you enjoy some of the darker tales on the Wicked Library, I know you'll enjoy Sable. It's a great story podcast, and Lane writes and narrates all the stories you'll find there. Now, without any further ado, or talking, let's get wicked. 
Society 13 Podcast Network. Redefining Podcasts. Society-13.com I like to listen. Welcome to Channel 9 of the STRY Radio Network, where stories live. The Wicked Library is intended for mature audiences only. So if you're not mature, get out. Get out now while the getting's good. <laughs> Have a seat and relax. I am your librarian. There's nothing to be afraid of, yet. Hold on to yourselves, boils and ghouls. This is going to be a dark ride. We'll leave the lights on for now. No talking. It's story time at the Wicked Library. <laughs> The Journey by Eamon O'Neill Howling winds puppeteered falling snowflakes. They swayed in the darkness like pale ash above blankets of white. Moonlight glistened along the mounded snow, reminding the stumbling man of bunched, cut lilies. Sim Samson had lost his footing and come down on his knee almost an hour ago. He drunkenly checked for blood and found nothing. At least, that's what he thought. Now his pants were matted against the drying crimson syrup. Had been for a while. Pain webbed outward as the gentle lift of gin slowly eased him down to sobriety. He drained the last of his bottle and threw it down the line. Light swam through the neck and drifted around the bottle as it hung in the air and disappeared into the darkness. Sim waited for the sound of shattering shards, the satisfaction of hearing glass crack open and break apart. But there was nothing. He found this... odd. Further down the winding steel, he saw it. A sheet of snow wrapped lovingly around the bottle preserved as a pharaoh. Obvious, he frowned. His hair was ragged and long, gray streaks running through red. It hovered around him like a sick aura in the wind. Hollows basined his dark eyes, and the middle of his bottom lip was a nicotine trowel. No one in town could recall a time that Sim had been... <sighs> presentable. He slipped, steadied himself. The train tracks had been decommissioned for as long as Sim could remember. In places, the sleepers gave way underfoot and made a sound like whispering farts. Floodlights hung above the tracks, no shine or flicker, long, spider-legged cracks in their bulbs. If not for the moon and snow, 
it would have been impossible to see anything. If not for the alcohol, it would have been impossible to bear the cold. No hat, no scarf, no gloves. His mother always warned him that engines, that's what she called trains, could glide their lines without making any noise. It hadn't made sense to him, still didn't, that something so big could roll those giant wheels without making a sound. It seemed strange to Sim that all his life he had never once seen an engine on these old tracks. Recently he had mauled on it, chewing through childhood memories and waiting for the image of a silent train to drift through. He had scoured the internet, looking for some reference to the old engines that would have traveled the rails from stop to stop, nearly went blind with the library's microfilm reader. Weary yellow page after weary yellow page, old grainy photographs back as far as the 1900s, not a train in sight. Sim broke the odds in his head, unlikely. Though if the world worked to the song of causality as his mother had said, she phrased it song of fate, but Sim thought causality captured the sentiment more efficiently, the odds were negligible. Sim could never hold a job for long. This gave him all the time he needed for his research projects. Old Roman empires, the history of barbarian tribes marching through Asia. Mostly it was UFOs, government conspiracies, other esoteric topics. For months he was obsessed with a link between Gigantopithecus and the Ape Men, or Bigfoots, Big Feet, his mother pluralized, that were reportedly sighted in the great forest of British Columbia. Mrs. Sampson's widow's pension was enough for the two of them anyway. They could afford a film, she called them pictures, once a week. His mother always said he was like the heroes, but Sim wasn't sure. Townsfolk looked at them sometimes, an unapologetic smile. Sorry you're stuck with him. And his mother could always see the look of recognition in Simpson's eyes, the one that no one else seemed to notice. You're a damn sight smarter than these knuckle-draggers, but a brain like yours ain't no use in a logging town. She smiled at her son. Sim would stay quiet, try to connect these strands of information into something cohesive. It takes a redwood ten years to grow from seeding to fruition, but if you leave it alone, it just gets bigger and bigger, all the way to the sun. He would stop talking and his eyes would widen, his mind once again loading some data from a distant part of his brain. The oldest known giant sequoia is 3,500 years old. Giant sequoias are the oldest living things on Earth, fibrous and furrowed. They can be 90 meters thick at their base. And tell me more, Sim. And he would. For hours until she fell asleep, she would wake up later, a knitted blanket placed over her chest, and Sim snoring gently on the chair beside her. She left him enough to keep him right for a few more years, even made Tony Willens promise that he'd help Sim sell the land, get him into assisted living when that was gone. 
there were enough acres to give Sim an income for the rest of his life. She hoped so, anyway. The carers would leave Sim alone for the most part, but they'd intervene if he became, as he sometimes did, overwhelmed. His mother was a constant, spinning regimented routines as hour gave way to hour, memorized timetables conducting every day. Red meat Monday, Kipper Tuesday, Bolognese Wednesday, then chicken and turkey, a vegetable stew that would last the weekend. When people asked how she was, the reply was always the same. Every day above ground. She wouldn't say whether that was a good or bad thing. Sim could tell you what his mother would be doing weeks in advance. People thought this schedule was catered around his discomfort with change, but the truth was that Mrs. Sampson liked to know how one day would lead to the next almost as much as her son. This made what she had done that cold September night entirely and uncharacteristically strange. Maybe it was an episode, like the time Sim hadn't washed for weeks, sure as salt that there were microscopic parasites in the water pipes. She told him it was just a blip, and that it wouldn't bother him so much if he took his medicine. Mrs. Sampson had never blipped before. What Sim could not understand, ever since the police had knocked on the front door with hats in hand and dour faces, was their explanation that an early morning cargo train had hit her, silent as a breath. The casket was closed at the funeral. Schrodinger's cat, a 50-50 chance that his mother was inside. Multiply that by the fact Sim could find no record of a train ever passing through town, and there was a chance that she hadn't died at all. Some kind of conspiracy? The possibility glimmered. A song of fate... Sim tugged at his jacket, tried to duck his nose under the collar. The cold was inside his fingers, creeping to the bone. Gray breath caught the strings of the wind and were jerked in different directions. A tunnel looped ahead of him. He might be able to get some respite from the coldness, or at least break the onslaught of wind long enough to light a cigarette. He slipped again, steadied himself. When Sim stepped inside, the wind hushed to a sighing breeze. He fumbled through his pockets, found a lighter. He flicked it and cupped his hands around the flame, lit the tobacco. Shadows stretched against the arcing walls. Sim squinted, nearly dropped the cigarette. Up ahead, at the edge of the amber glow, something twitched. He thrashed his arm like a fish drawing air, shadows warped as the light moved. A loud clap of wind through the tunnel, the flame trembled and gave up. Sim flicked the flint, sparks broke. Twice. Three times. Nothing. When the light took, the first thing he noticed was the pair of black shoes pointed towards him. Bad night for your first night. Sim kept his head down frozen. Guess a night's a night. A woman's voice, gentle, but I'd imagine you're feeling the cold. Remnants of a hairstyle. He'd seen a cut like it on the poster in Jessup's hair salon. Above the shoulder, longer on the left side, a red dye fading. 
Sim's flame swam through her green eyes. Her tights were laddered, the hem of her skirt just above the knee, a blazer and blouse open to her clavicle. Her skin, while pale, didn't shiver. Engines? Sim almost scared himself with the question. Come again? He cleared his throat. They can travel at a medium speed of uh, 250 kilometers an hour. The Japanese bullet train can travel up to 600 kilometers per hour. Sim stalled. It's implausible one of those would be here, but... He stalled again, something tender catching in his throat. Trains are... very quiet. Haven't seen a train come through here and... She trailed off, eyed Sim, and then nodded. Are you lost? He shook his head, more drunk than he thought. Then I suppose you're here for the same reason as everyone else, she said, turning. The woman held an open hand against the tunnel wall, trailed her fingers against the old brick and mortar. She walked to the sides of the iron line, high-heeled steps falling carefully on the edges of the sleepers. Sim held the lighter in front of him, tried to maintain his footing. I've never understood how people hear of this place. Who? For most of us, it was a total mistake, but there are always one or two a year. Seem to know what they're after. His cigarette had gone out. It's unlikely that someone would find themselves on a train track by mistake. Doesn't matter. The tunnel swerved and meandered like a coiling snake. Sim's flame went out. He flicked the gears a few more times before the woman had told him to stop. It'll brighten up soon enough. At first he thought it was his eyes growing accustomed to the darkness, but the further they walked, the more the light seemed to grow. Sim jumped from the rail line, tried to find an enclave. There was no sound, but he knew he wouldn't hear anything until it was too late. Engine, his voice loud, afraid. She stepped behind the turning tunnel. Sim waited for something to happen, pushed himself close to the wall. Finally, staring at the static light, he took a tremulant step onto the sleepers. White light enveloped him as he turned the corner. Nearly there, the woman called. He stepped closer, strafing against the tunnel wall. It must have been a century old. A metal cylinder below the light, rows of spiraling nuts as if it were the threshold to some elaborate safe. A red triangular grate pointed towards Sim, the first train he had ever seen on these tracks, an antiquated steam engine. He moved past the light, held his palm against the metal frame, warm and pulsing but utterly silent. The woman stood ahead. What is... Sim started unsure what he should be asking. The woman stepped up a small stair set. Sim followed behind her. They led to a gangway connector, sliding doors to the left and right. The woman opened the door behind her. Light flickered and climbed the carriage walls. She pointed at the adjacent carriage and slid the door shut. Sim's breath raced, his mind trying to connect what was happening to some kind of logic. Behind him, metal gears began to roll. When he turned, the entrance to the carriage was open. Lit candles dripped wax off wooden tables, amber light waltzed. 
Faces stared out windows, four people to every table. Their heads began to turn from the window to Sim as he took a half step inside. The door slid closed behind him. Each face held a slight smile, relaxed and contented. The heads continued their slow pivot as Sim walked, following his movements. Old and young, no trend in appearance or supposed profession. When Sim passed a certain point, the heads slowly reverted their gaze to the windows. If he took a step back, they would gently turn again and watch him from their corner eye until to do so was impossible. Sim tried to ask who they were, what they were doing in the tunnel, but no words seemed to form. Instead, he took small steps forward, the pleasant faces smiling. An uncommon blankness descended on Sim's mind. It was as if his brain had stopped attempting to rationalize what was happening. A welcome reprieve to the constantly looping ruminations that usually took hold and forced him to untangle numbers, dates, and probabilities. Pills pacified the thoughts, but made him feel somehow synthetic. It was the gin that did the trick slowing his mind to a relaxed chug, which in turn placated the hum in his guts. And now, here he was in the most terrifying situation he had ever experienced, and his heart wasn't trying to fracture his ribcage. Electric clouds weren't drifting through his belly. He could feel the shift in his cheek muscle as a slight curl lapped his lips. There was no fear here. The waving candlelight and its cascading shadows made it hard to see the contours of a face until Sim was standing alongside them. But even from halfway down the carriage, he recognized her. The same restful look on her face as when he draped a blanket over her shoulders. A pang of urgency fought for recognition. Sim's smile shook, his steps doubling. Mother? He meant to express it with exclamation, but the word came out weak and unsure. He drew nearer, her head beginning to turn towards him in a slow arc. Light and shadow fought on the ridge of her nose, the weave of her brow, the slant in her lip. Mother? He put his hands on her shoulders. They rose gently with her breath. She was sitting alone. We have to go now. Something fought the stillness inside him, lizard-like and afraid. A line of light circled his mother's faded blue irises, her smile still and unchanging. He tried to pry her hand from the table, but found himself unable to wrench them from the timber. She continued to smile at him, hands heavy as anchors. Tea? Coffee? Snacks? Wheels squealed as they rolled. Sorry there, fella. Need to get by. There was nothing in the cart. No bars, no biscuits. Say, can I get you anything? Tea? Coffee? Snacks? Sim made out a tweed, peat cap above a face covered in darkness. The shadows were unswayed by the burning candles. White gloved hands lay on the cart's handle. You don't have anything. Sure I do, the man replied. Got tea and coffee and snacks. 
There was a cardboard cup in front of every passenger. A thread hung outside the white plastic lid tied to a paper tag. Sim looked down at his mother, the same cup resting beside her hands. He placed his fingers on it and shook. Empty. He took the paper tag in his palm. Full black. No design. When Sim looked back at the man, he was placing a lid screw-like onto a steaming cardboard cup. Why don't you take this? Too cold out not to want a little heating up. Sim looked at the cart and back to the man. Where am I? Well, you're on a train, so most folk would say you're on a journey. It's not moving. Then why are all these nice people looking out the window? Sim looked at the smiling faces in their groups of four, eyes set on the darkness outside. You know, the conductor continued, there's nothing like watching the world go by and sipping from a nice, hot drink. He held the cup towards Sim, the black tag trembling. In fact, I'd go as far to say that a journey isn't really a journey until you've had a nice cup of tea. Sim reached out. He could feel heat through the thin cardboard. Good for the soul. Sim took the cup. He thumbed the white plastic until it clipped away from the rim of the cup. The liquid was black and tarry, bubbling like molten. He fixed the lid back on and sat opposite his mother. Like I said, the conductor leaned towards Sim. A journey doesn't start without taking a sip from a nice, hot drink. He fixed the plastic top over the bubbling black soup. Sim looked out the window. Darkness. He took the cup in his hand, felt the heat of the tea encroach on his upper lip as he tilted it back. He stopped. The tide a fly leg from his mouth. The conductor was hunched over him, hovering. Sim saw the smooth line of his jaw just out from the shadow. Bone white and angular. He held the cup in place and then felt the light caress of his mother's fingers on his hand, her smile assuring and maternal. Sim drank. Something came into view through the window, turning meadows and a high sun, the sky cloudless and blue. Swallows drifted through the air, billowing like a pumping organ. The conductor began to move his cart, the wheels moaning as they rotated. Before he opened the sliding door, he turned. Candlelight caught the bottom of his face for a hanging moment. His teeth were jaundiced and long. Sim felt like he should be worried about the conductor having no gums, or lips, or skin. Enjoy your journey! The engine rolled alongside a river which opened farther and farther until it left its winding tracks and drifted silently on the ocean's surface. In the Archaic period, the Greeks believed that the sea was protected and ruled by the brother of Zeus and Hades, Sim whispered. Sunlight danced like shimmering stones along the rippling blue. Tell me more, Sim. His mother's voice, sleepy. When her eyes were closed, he took off his jacket and laid it around her shoulders. Sim yawned, stretched, and committed himself to the deepest of sleep.
Thank you for listening to today's episode of The Wicked Library. Stay tuned for an interview with the author after these brief credits. The Wicked Library is a Ninth Story Studios production, ninthstory.com. If you enjoy the show, please consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash wicked library. You can be a part of helping us keep the show coming for as little as $2 a month. All supporters get wicked fun rewards like bookmarks, access to our archives, bonus stories, and more. The more generous you are, the more wicked the rewards are. The Wicked Library is sponsored by the Legends, Myths, and Whiskey podcast. Brought to you by a team of storytellers and whiskey lovers, they bring culture to life through storytelling every week. You can find them over at legendsmythsandwhiskey.com and, of course, in iTunes or wherever you subscribe to your podcasts. Also sponsored by Zombie Lips. They make the antidote for the human condition, a topical application that cures eczema, poison oak, poison ivy, acne, bee stings, bug bites, cuts, scrapes, scuffs, tears, the endless ailments we wish never happened. Get the cure at zombielips.squarespace.com. All audio recorded in-house at Ninth Story Studios is recorded on Rode microphones. Find out more information about their great products over at Rode.com, which is R-O-D-E dot com. A big thank you to Rode for helping us make the show sound so good. Complete credits and full show notes can be found at thewickedlibrary.com. You can also find links to our Twitter, Facebook, and iTunes page. Don't forget to rate and review the show. And now, an interview with the author. So welcome, everyone. This is the After the Story Wicked Library interview, and today we're talking with Eamon O'Neill. And I hope I said that correctly. (laughs) Nailed it. (laughs) Sweet. Um, I will not attempt my Irish accent, though I might after we actually record this. (laughs) You know, you might insult me. It's okay. okay. I'm pretty sure I would, (laughs) because it's really bad. Um, But we won't start this uh, conversation there will start somewhere slightly better. (laughs) So, Eamon, where where are you based out of, for those who can't quite place your accent? Um, Well, I I grew up in Wexford, which is like the southern part of Ireland, and I've been living in Dublin for the last couple of years, so uh, yeah, I've got a neutral enough accent, so it's not crazy. No, it's actually not so bad. <laughs> you have to mask it a little bit because I live up here with all the other Irish people. But if uh, if you were from Wexford, like, ah, hon, how are you getting on? What's the crack? Then that would be my accent, you know? <laughs> I'm sure you have no idea what I just said. That's that's okay. Actually, I understood it. Uh, hey, how you going? What's the crack is what I what I heard. What it means, I don't know. You could live. You could, you could totally live. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty good at understanding accents. Um, at one point, I was good at mimicking them, but uh, you know, not so great. <laughs> Haven't practiced in a while. We'll see when this is all over. <laughs> After listening to you for half an hour, I might actually do okay. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, how are you liking Dublin? Yeah, it's great. Um, I've been here for like over three years now. Um, so I live with a. Uh, a, a cat and uh, a lady and the three of us get on pretty good so um yeah no it's it, it's good um it's weird it's like 
I guess the last three years of living here have been sort of when I stopped writing as much and started kind of working harder because Dublin just won't let you live in it unless not that you have to make like a lot of money or anything like that but you need the rents are so crazy up here that I couldn't continue being like a broke ass guy trying to get a story out here and there you know what I mean I, I had to kind of focus on the grind of work so unfortunately I haven't had as much time to put pen to paper over the last couple of years that makes sense. The rent is kind of a big motivator in many people's lives, <laughs> mine included. Someone's <laughs> the wolf at the door. Just take me. Just, let's yeah. get this over with. Just, it's know? fine. Just the, then I won't have to focus on <laughs> the fact that you're out there and you oh, just be yeah. killing me. Um, yeah, well, it's, it's only now, really, um, that things have kind of settled down. So I've, I was working crazy hours, but I'm in a place now where my hours are less... Um, I've got enough coming in where I don't have to worry too much about rent and stuff like that. So nice. I'm kind of going to put more time into getting back into the back into my writing and, and, and doing some more, you know. Uh, so it was great that you guys uh, took the story, you know. I, I, you know, I was really happy that someone was interested in in in, in uh, giving it a bit of time. Well, we're entirely happy to have your you and your story here on the Wicked Library. Um, I actually was curious, how did you find the Wicked Library in the first place? Um, you know, I started, um, I, I, I listened to a lot of podcasts, um, so like when I, I used to live in Canada, I did some landscaping there for a while, years ago, <clears throat> and, uh, I would like, because the days were so long, I'd usually download some podcasts onto like a little MP3 player and just listen to them as I went through the day. So I was usually listening to like a Joe Rogan podcast and kind of talk show podcast sort of stuff, and then just slowly I started listening I've always liked horror so I started listening to some horror podcasts um, I started with one I don't know if you know it called Knife Point Horror have you ever heard of it? Yeah I have Love Yeah it's, it's like it's so minimalist as well like there's no you know there's barely any it's just you can hear the guy talk and that's it but um, real sort of Lovecraftian almost but uh, yeah so I just started listening to that and then I would just do random searches and um, I came across uh, Wicked Library just in one of those random searches and I, the first story I heard was that one called The Job's a Job and I thought the story was tremendous and then it, it was so cool to hear like the the interview afterwards with the writer I, I thought it was a great idea um, and a, certainly for anyone who likes to write as well to see what everyone else's process is like and how they kind of approach trying to unsettle people with words you know it was really cool um, so yeah, and, and as soon as I heard that, like I, yeah, I, I try to listen to everyone that comes out. Um, but definitely one of my, one of my favorite of the horror podcasts that are on the go right now. Nice, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> I'm always curious, like, because it is. It's just kind of like, oh, there's this thing in podcasts that's more than NPR. That's more than talk shows. This is cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can like um just if, if something sort of comes into your head you know you're like oh, I wonder yeah. about this you just do a search for it and you know nine times out of ten if you know I suppose everyone can get like a relatively good app on their phone to just you know um, just store all the podcasts so uh, it's really cool that you can just kind of do your hits and misses and just see if you like this one see mm -hmm. if you like that one um, but yeah no I, I, the one thing I'm kind of raging about now is that I have my commute is a little shorter to work than it used to yeah. be so I don't have 
much time <laughs> to just oh. listen to stories <laughs> and stuff. Oh, oh it, I think it is funny that that's one thing where it's like, oh, my commute's so much shorter. No! I missed that in life. I want to at least half an hour away from places. <laughs> yeah. But there are, there's so many, like, um, it's just so easy to get a hold of some some people's work you know like uh friends of mine started a podcast called those conspiracy guys a while ago and it's just like it's so crazy to see how much it's taken off you know in ireland of all places i didn't think there was a big well i mean i know it's, it's sort of global they have a lot of fans in the, the u.s and all over the place but it's amazing how you know it can just take off uh like i think those guys are nearly making a salary from it now you know Nice. So it's tremendous to see it happen. Yeah, I'm raging because I started it with them, and then I was like, "Dude, I just I just don't have the time for this. I'm swamped." And I'm like, "Damn you!" <laughs> <laughs> but no, more power to them, and uh, it's really worth checking out as well. If you, it's kind of like comedy, but you know, comedy. But 9/11 was an inside job kind of a thing. <laughs> it's, it's it's an interesting mix of uh, comedy of voices. and conspiracy. <laughs> crazy that's that is fantastic uh i want i need to go find them and then listen to them as well um yeah so when you submitted your story to the wicked library was there anything different you did when approaching this story because you knew what the format was going to be um do you know not exactly um to be honest this is probably like in terms of writing this is probably only the second or third story i've written that i wanted it to be kind of didn't even want it to be scary it was more like I wanted it to be like an episode of the old school Twilight Zone or something do you know what I mean like yeah so yeah so I I guess I just I wrote it I had an idea where I wanted to go with it and then I I came up with two or three endings and kind of wrote them out and figured out which one I thought was um maybe not best but which one was fairest on the characters I suppose like that (laughs) had one ending that was like it, they wind up it was like <clears throat> that I, I can say what happens in the story now I guess yeah you can like, no spoilers yeah. we're good we made it <laughs> but, um, so yeah when they're on the train at the end and they're going away there was a part where instead of going out into like a river and it was kind of serene they went into a forest and uh, Sim was looking out and it looked like people were climbing on the trees and then he noticed that they weren't it just the sentence was something like he noticed they weren't climbing or the idea was like they had kind of gone into hell or some sort of horrible you know where everyone was dying but they were both sort of relaxed at the prospect of ever like it was like the bad thing was that this place made that seem like a peaceful experience you know to see all this horror and i was like oh i just can't do this to that guy like he's, he's had it so <laughs> just i can't do this to him uh so i kind of changed it so it's it's still weird but it's it's kind of it's nicer, you know? Yeah. I, I like the open-ended quality of this, the ending you did go with. Open-ended ending. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to stick with that. Because it, it opens it up for, you know, just the listener to go, but what does it mean? You know, where where is he? Which a lot of the best Twilight episodes just leave you with that. It's, it's not quite satisfying as far as like, here is exactly what I was thinking as the <laughs> author. Um, <laughs> here's a question for you. Now ruminate on that. Uh, I really enjoyed that about this story. 
Oh, that's good, man. I, I like that. Yeah, like, I, I think <laughs> I think it does in, you know, from things I read, I, I always, there's more, I guess it stays with you a little bit longer when there's no kind of bow tied around the end of it, you know? You don't really know what's happened. Um, and also, <laughs> maybe it's easier to just be kind of like, oh, I'll leave these kids off here, and they can yeah. figure the rest <laughs> of the themselves. Um, but no, it, it, it they're... Yeah, there is something about what's that? There's a there's a famous expression. It's like arrive late, leave early. Like in terms of writing a story, you know. Mm-hmm. So like start in the middle of nowhere and then end just as you think you're getting somewhere, and sort of just leave it up to people then. Um, but yeah, like I don't know. I think I think legitimately that was just I I couldn't leave him in some sort of hell dimension. I, I felt too bad about it, so I just rewrote it. I, I can see how you got attached to that character because I did too. Just like starting it off, I'm like, oh, okay, so this is kind of a hobo drunk kind of character. And then you get to know him and his mom. And then you're just like, oh, wait, I actually really like this kid. Oh, no, he's going on the tracks. What's going to happen? <laughs> yeah, he was, um, yeah, like it was weird because it did start originally as just like a lot of times when I start, I don't really have notes or anything. I just start to. I just start almost free writing and see where I end up and then I'll kind of try to take it back and make sense of it and then maybe start writing it again you know so with this it was just like oh yeah guy looks for his mother uh, train somewhere all right we'll go let's just see where we get from that and uh, it wasn't yeah it wasn't until I don't know when but it wasn't until I kind of thought yeah but if he like if all he has is his mother that's you know it's more there's more at stake and then it was kind of like oh well if like all he has is his mother and he's kind of like this sort of savant kind of a character who you know he's like wikipedia but he doesn't understand how to tie his laces then there's sympathy and it wasn't like i'm looking back on it it makes sense but at the time i was just you know you get those little like uh it's almost like when you try to flick a lighter and you see that little flint turn and the spark flare and it's like oh yeah that'll do that'll work that'll work and <laughs> um, so i was really excited kind of when i was doing it but um no yeah he was too nice to you know, he seemed like a nice person. I didn't want to yeah. <laughs> Too nice to drop off into oblivion. <laughs> yeah, it's not fair. It's not fair. I, I feel like he has a little hope at the end there where it's like, maybe we're stuck on this train forever, but everyone else seems really comfortable, so maybe it's not so bad. Yeah, and like, <clears throat> I guess, yeah, because I don't even, I haven't really thought about it m- much further past the sort of train, but almost to me to a character like that like being on the train in a thing where he understands everything or if like not understands everything but the realm or the, the the space that he occupies is so much smaller it's like easier for him do you know what i mean yeah actually now that you say it exactly that way it's almost as if that's where he was supposed to be from the beginning yeah like do some better again like i've only thought of that now because <laughs> i'm a terrible writer I'm, a, I'm like oh yeah and what about this thing that i just came up with now i think You're that's like, a sign uh, of how's right? your new <laughs> yeah maybe i don't know i don't know but no yeah like it it, it was um yeah i i, I kind of i like the story and stuff but uh it's really weird though because um when you know, you guys said, oh, you're going to have a story on or whatever. I, I was excited and I was listening then to this season's stories and I was like, oh, no, <laughs> these are too good. I'm afraid now. Um, but uh, yeah, like it, 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 yeah, it was it was it was a it was a fun story to write, I guess. It was a fun story to write. 
So with with this particular story, did it come out in just like one sitting, like a, a couple drafts, or how long did you work on this one? I'm not sure exactly how long. Like what I try to do is I work like um, you know a full time job, and I try to maybe get one or two days a week, just Monday to Friday, even if it's just me with an A4 pad where I can have a cup of coffee and jot down a few paragraphs or something, you know. Um, and then on a Saturday, unless there's something planned, um, I'll go to the library for the day and just either edit or um, or just write a write more stories. Or usually, like if I write in the A4 pad, then that's kind of like the ammunition for when I get to the library, so I can actually sort of edit it almost as I'm typing it out, you know. Yeah. Um, and my my laptop weirdly enough that the space key has never really worked properly <laughs> so it forces me to edit it because I look up after like a couple of uh, taps and I'm like oh well well that just that I need to fix this and then as you're putting in the space points you're like oh well that that sentence is god awful so you're <laughs> sort of rewriting it as you go you know um but that's that's my 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 very broken process that's how it <laughs> I, I love that though. It's like your computer is is forcing you to write better in a way. It's like I'm gonna mess this up for you on purpose. Yeah, there was um actually recently I was in the library, I was trying to write something new, and just nothing was coming to me. You know, I was like, oh come on, come on. And so I just started write. I started typing and not paying attention, and I wound up like coming up with a story about a guy writing about how the space bar in his computer won't work mm -hmm. so as you're reading it like all these words that shouldn't be together but are because the space bar won't work and he's kind of telling he's like well the reason that i keep this laptop is because something very important happened and it it was oh it, it's terrible but it was really fun to write at the time you know it sounds hilarious actually <laughs> um so where do you find a lot of your inspiration for stories you know the space bar is one but uh, where else? <laughs> the inspiration for the journey was just um, there's like a rail line near to where I grew up as a kid, and um, when we were probably teenagers, we used to uh, we used to hang around there a lot, like probably you know drinking and messing and just being wayward youths. But I always kind of, I had a fondness for that little part of the train train track that was by my house, you know? So I used to go down there all my life, probably, even if I just walk home the train tracks or I sit there for like, it's right by a river, so it's, it's kind of nice and peaceful. And uh, there was one year where it snowed pretty heavily down in Wexford, um, and me and a buddy of mine just like decided we'd walk the railway home, and just everything looked new you know like this blanket of just fresh snow on it and it just looked really nice and I didn't at the time this is years and years ago I didn't really think about writing a story about it and then one day I started writing and I suppose it sort of amalgamated like that uh, me drinking when I was a kid at the railway line and the snow and then just this other kind of character grew out of that but uh, in my mind like I see everywhere that's in that story in terms of the railway line and stuff like I can see exactly where it is because I just spent so much time there so I think a lot of times with uh, with stories what I wind up doing is 
there's either a little thing I see that's kind of strange or feels strange to me, or there's a, a, a place I'm in that feels a certain way and things just kind of tend to go from there, you know? Like, I'm not a good guy for taking a... I, I couldn't write anything that had, like, a, you know, political statement or anything. Uh, it's just, just you know, I don't mean that there's anything wrong with writing that. Just for me, it's like, I don't know, I need to have some sort of a feeling about somewhere or something. Like, there was another time I saw an ant carrying another ant just so I was having a cup of coffee out in my garden one day. And I looked down and there's just this tiny ant carrying another ant and I was like, there's there's a story in there. <laughs> and someday I'm going to figure out what it is. But <laughs> just that there was some sort of feeling about seeing that image or something. Mm-hmm. You know, it's... Um, and I guess it... I don't know, it, it lights like a little bit of a flame in you. And you get a feeling like the, a sizzle, you know? Like putting bacon on a pan. You're kind of like, oh yeah, like this bacon's going to be really good. <laughs> Inevitably, you burn the bacon <laughs> over and over again and make a nice, a nice piece of meat, you know. Well, then it works that you're you're so drawn to horror because the crispy, overfried bacon's just gonna be extra. <laughs> <They fun>. like... <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, weirdly enough, horror's kind of. I always loved horror as a genre, like um, not even to read, like, but I always loved being scared as a kid, you know, and even. I suppose as I grew up, it didn't really stop, you know. And I've, I've you know, read Stephen King and Joe Hill and uh, Ray Bradbury, and I read kind of a lot of sort of horror books, and I read a lot of, especially as a kid, like monster books and folklore books and stuff. Um, but I, I, when I tried to write originally, it was more kind of, um, I don't know, like you're kind of just sort of the stuff that you would send to like a literary magazine or something like that you know what I mean and I was I think I didn't really want to it was more like I was trying to fit into what I thought was a good writer if that makes sense that does make sense Uh, yeah because the horror's got to really like if you if you go to you know you go to some writer's workshop and you're like oh yeah I write horror like they give you the stink eye (laughs) (laughs) you know like there's a real thing about it like I remember uh, because I did an MA in writing uh, which might have been the best idea. I think it taught me more about craft and just sort of doused all the fire I had for actual real writing, you know? And mm-hmm. um, I remember my lecturer saying one day, he was like, oh, and um, he said, Stephen King has this really good book called On Writing, which is a really, really good book, you know, just about like the craft of writing and, and all that. But uh, he was like, he sort of informed us by saying, well, it doesn't matter what you think of his work, and then said, Stephen King has a really good book called On Writing, and it was kind of like, you know, first of all, this guy has sold more books than, like, (laughs) which I'm not saying is like a, well, there's no way to judge something. If you like something, you like something, Mm -hmm. but it just felt like so shitty, like, to say, like, oh, this guy wrote this awesome book on how to write books, and he sold more books than anyone, and he's held in really high regard the world over. It made more movies out of his books than anyone else, but he's not one of our writers, you know. Like just, <laughs> right. it, it was really kind of like, oh, come on, man, we're, we're better than that. Like we don't have to be, you know, all stuck up and, you know, like there's so much good writing out there, mm-hmm. irrespective of the genre. And but that is one thing that a lot of sometimes it can be difficult for people to. You know, as a sci-fi writer, a horror writer, um, 
comic book writer, for example, they they'll sort of they bastardize you a little bit. Mm-hmm. You're like, well, you're you're right, I guess. But and and it, when someone doesn't recognize horror or speculative fiction or even fantasy, I'm mm. like, what do you consider quote good writing to be? If like you know, <laughs> it's like, yeah. is it just nonfiction writing that you like? Or I, that's always my question for them. It's like, if you don't think this is legit, what is? Yeah, yeah, and it's it's one of those things I feel. And I could be totally wrong. I'm wrong about I'm wrong about so much in my <laughs> life, but um, it seems like it's one of those things where you kind of contain yourself within a category of what's acceptable. You know, do you know what I mean? Like, it seems like the same thing is if you hear like a pop song and you're really into like rock music or whatever kind of music you're into, and you can't allow yourself to accept that the beat on this pop song is pretty good or the 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 kind of just the the lyrics or whatever bit of the pop song are really good because you've identified yourself as being uh, this particular person who like no I only listen to I don't know progressive metal or, or whatever the thing is you're into um yeah like there anything's I've always tried to I've always tried to kind of go into anything I, I, I look at or listen to that's creative um, and be kind of like, no matter how bad this is or how bad I think it is, like there's going to be elements of it that have something that's going to appeal to me in some way or another, you know? Um, and just trying not to let myself be biased against things, which is really tough sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like, and I think a lot of people then who will kind of just immediately write off you um, like you say uh, writers of speculative fiction or, or people who don't want to kind of win a Booker Prize right yeah like, it seems you're not learning anything from that you're just cementing your own views that you already have like there's no there's no point in being that person you know no point and no growth like <laughs> yeah exactly. at what exactly. point did you decide this was that 10 years ago imagine how much more you could know if you'd changed your mind slightly so um before we go i did want to talk about star milligram real quick because that's one of your books that you have out and i think people would probably enjoy though i haven't read it yet so i can't vouch for it but i'd like to hear more about it um, yeah that that was a uh, i guess kind of the, the reason maybe i got into writing i don't know um it's not like horror at all but um it's about a kid, well not a kid, he's like in his early 20s or whatever, but um, he's got uh, agoraphobia and so he he's kind of created a world around him where he never needs to leave the house and lives on a kind of a diet of fast food like that gets delivered and um, like Xanax and Valium and just anything to kind of level him out. Um, and the only relationship he has is with his guinea pig who he talks to and the guinea pig talks back to him. Um, and it's just about him he gets like his house gets broken into one night and uh, he gets hospitalized from that and it's just sort of about him reintegrating into society and um, it's a lot funnier than I'm selling it right now <laughs> like it's kind of <laughs> well you know, he's talking it's, it's, to a guinea pig we'll start there <laughs> guinea pig's so cute uh, the guinea pig's called like Captain Anxious but uh, it's um, but yeah the whole thing it's kind of like I suppose looking at um, maybe looking at certain elements of mental illness and stigma and accepting 
the shortcomings or the perceived shortcomings you have in your own life or the different um, difficulties that you find on the way. Uh, but no, yeah, it was. It's. it's I don't. I don't know if it's good, but I. I, <laughs> I was happy I wrote it. You know, um, yeah. it's on Amazon, but to be honest, like. I'll give it away for free, so if anybody can <laughs> like anywhere, you can get me on Facebook or Twitter or whatever. I yeah, like you can just have it if you, if you let me know what you want. Ask <laughs> not to an email address. So, uh, dear listeners, if you want to read Star Milligram for free, then uh, you can find Amon on Facebook. dot com <laughs> slash where is it? Amon O'Neill. <laughs> <laughs> let's hope so and yeah, um, on twitter yeah, like, at imano4 <laughs> yeah m-o-n-o-4 like <laughs> is that right I'm really bad with it as well I, I, yeah like, it's uh, e-a-m-o-n-n-o-4 so um, if you guys want any of those links they will be in our show notes and Thank you, Eamon, for being on the show with us and sharing your story. No worries. Thanks so much for having me. (laughs) And in case I didn't say it, which I don't think I did, I'm Jeanette Andromeda, and from (laughs) HorrorMade.com, you can find me there. Okay, bye. By Crimson, superbly wicked. Thanks for all your hard work. This podcast never fails to impress. By 7 O R Y 7 Ori? 7 1992. I'm sure I'm missing something there. One of my favorites. Just as good as the dark verse. Cafe Americano, 10 centimeters. I love some of these names. Fantastic. The horror stories never disappoint, and the narration is always spot on. Five stars. Thanks again to everybody who took the time to rate and review the show. And thank you so much to our current Patreon supporters, whose names I'm about to murder. Assistant Librarian Scott Jepson. Aaron Vleck, Ada Lee Terrill, Amy Bate, Andrew Dvorak, Brad Erickson, Brian K. Veerling, Cameron Callahan, Chris Brown, Corrine White, Francesca D. Martinez, Gavino Aquayo, James Powell, Jamie Hardy, Jan Shea, Justy Hilberry, Kathy Thompson, Kelly Perkins, Lisa M. Devol, Melinda Dupi, Michael Lusty Smith, Nick Wang, Poo Lee, Robert Light, Sam Snap, Seth Williams, Sophia Rivera, Tamara Rolota, and Yosil Lorenzo. You're all awesome. For those of you who can't get enough talking, let's talk about how mechanical rubber goods are made. First published in the Scientific American Supplement on February 13th, 1892. While the manufacture of rubber goods is in no sense a secret industry, the majority of buyers and users of such goods have never stepped inside of a rubber mill, and many have very crude ideas as to how the goods are made up. An ordinary garden hose, for instance, 
The process is as follows. The inner tubing is made of a strip of rubber 50 feet in length, which is laid on a long zinc-covered table and its edges drawn together over a hose pole. The cover, which is made of what is called friction, that is cloth with rubber forced through its meshes, comes to the hose maker in strips, cut on the bias, which are wound from the outside of the tube and adhere tightly to it. The hose pole is then put in something like a 50-foot lathe. While the pole revolves slowly, it is tightly wrapped with strips of cloth in order that it may not get out of shape while undergoing the process of vulcanizing. When a number of these hose poles have been covered in this way, they are laid in a pan set on trucks and are then run off into a long boiler, shut in, and live steam is turned on. When the goods are cured, steam is blown off, the vulcanizer opened, and the cloths are removed. The hose is then slipped off the pole by forcing air from a compressor between the rubber and the hose pole. This, of course, is what is known as hose and has a seam in it. For seamless hose, the tube is made in a tubing machine and slipped upon the hose pole by reversing the process that is used in removing the hose by air compression. In other words, a knot is tied in one end of the 50-foot